there will be a prophetic element to what I share and that, Lord, it will help each and every one of us to ultimately be drawn to you and to become a little bit more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2. I think it's a good thing to read a proverb every single day. Billy Graham, for the many, many years of his life's ministry, reads Proverbs through more than anything else. I too would have to say I read the book of Proverbs more than any other book. And you can start by just reading a proverb every single day. It only takes a minute or two. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. My son and daughter. You can put daughter in there as well because it means you. My son and my daughter, if... Ah, so it's conditional. If you receive my words and that you treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom. Say the word wisdom. Shout it out, Cambridge Church. You incline your ear to wisdom and you apply your heart to understanding. Verse 10, when wisdom enters your heart. Say wisdom. And knowledge is pleasant to your soul. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Turn over. Chapter 4 and verse 5. It says, get wisdom. Say wisdom. The Bible says, get and get understanding, and do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you, because wisdom is the principal thing. Some versions say wisdom is the supreme thing, therefore get wisdom. Wisdom. Although I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, I came from a very good home and had a great mum and dad. They were quite elderly when they had me. My dad was, I think, 46, 47, and my mum was 44, 45. So they were quite old. I was a little surprised when I came along. And I've been a little surprised ever since. And, and my mum, she was a, a Methodist lady, both of them in their senior years came right through and gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I had the joy when they were in their 70s to baptize them in water. It was a tremendous thing, really. Uh, it, it made the front page of the local paper saying, um, son baptizes parents. <laughs> Not, ba- you know, parents baptize kids normally, but it's the other way around. And it was just wonderful. But my mum, she was full of wise little sayings. Uh, she, she would say things like this. She would say, John, you look after your pennies And your pounds will look after themselves. Some of you knew my mum. She would say things like this, John, you eat the crusts of your bread and then your hair will curl. You knew her. She'd say, John, you eat your carrots and then you'll be able to see in the dark. It's full of wise little... She had some ridiculous sayings as well. She said things like this, John, just look at that dirt on the back of your neck. I mean, how can you do that? One of the most ridiculous ones she had was this, John, you make sure you put clean underwear on every day in case you get knocked down by a double-decker bus. I mean, can you believe that? You're walking along the road, boom, you get knocked down by a bus 
And all you're thinking of is, now have I got... I mean, it's ridiculous. Wise little sayings. Some of her little sayings are jotted down here. She'd say things like this because she taught me about religion. She said one day, she says, you'd better pray that that mark comes out of the carpet. (laughs) She taught me about logic. She says, if you fall out of that tree and break your neck, don't get come running home to me. She taught me about irony. You keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. She taught me about hypocrisy. She said, John, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Don't exaggerate. (laughs) And she taught me a very good one about anticipation. She often used to say, John, you wait until your father gets home. (laughs) Chairman Mao. He had some very wise little sayings. One of his was this. He who sits on a tin tack is sure to rise. (laughs) Never mind, it's going over your head. I had a a friend who was a minister in the West Midlands. And he said this to me once. He said, you don't need to be a giant in order to slay a giant. You just need a giant on your side. Hmm, that's a wise saying. You don't need to be a giant in order to kill a giant. You just need a giant on your side. Very often when we think of giants, we think of the giants as being the baddies. David and Goliath, the giant. The giants in the land. But have you ever thought that the Lord Jesus Christ is a great giant? He's bigger by far stronger, greater than any. You don't need to be a giant in order to kill a giant. You just need a giant on your side. The truth of the matter is this, that actually over this past year or so, in this country and throughout the globe, the economic scene has been one that has wiped millions off the stock markets. People woke up and suddenly found they had lost fortunes. Men's hearts began to fail them through fear. And even now, this country is still, it's still not quite out of what we call a recession. Mm. But during that period of time, When every newspaper headline seemed to be speaking about the collapse of monetary systems and banks and problems regarding finance. I want to tell you that the Christian was someone that had a giant on their side. And as such, no matter what the headline was, we knew it would be well. Well with our soul, because the one that is in heaven does not suffer from recession. He still owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. You see, our Jesus is someone that is not surprised by a monetary collapse. Have you got him on your side? 
the truth is that on the international scene, things are pretty hairy. They say that the Yemen now is one of the countries to look out for. Or is it Afghanistan? Or, or is it Iraq? Could it be South Korea? Hmm. What's just happened to the Togo football team? All over the globe, there are things that would cause us to be concerned. And rightly so, because I want to declare to you, I believe in the second coming of Christ. And, and even what we are in at the moment with climate change taking place, there's always been volcanoes and earthquakes, but the weather conditions are changing throughout the globe at an unprecedented rate. And all of these things would uh, cause other men's hearts to fail them through fear. But when you've got a giant on your side, when you've got the Lord Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter economically or internationally, you're able to sleep at night knowing that God is a sovereign God. The truth of the matter is that nationally, this country is in a bit of a mess. I don't want to paint a picture that would cause us to be concerned, but, uh, you know, I, I stayed in the Holiday Inn Express last night here in Cambridge and uh, had my breakfast this morning and read the paper. Uh, and in the paper there, it told us, of course, about the forthcoming election that may well be in May of this year. Certainly, that's the latest virtually it could be. Hmm. Probably a change of government. Probably a change of prime minister. Probably. But have anybody got real solutions to real problems? It seems to me, I emigrated to Australia four years ago with my wife. We thought we were going to be there for life. And although we were only away for three years, when we came back in February of last year, the country had become a different nation. Hmm. You don't need to live in a upmarket Cambridge to realize that there are still problems with drug addiction and organized crime and domestic violence and paedophilia. For over 10 years, I was a magistrate in Exeter. I had to finish when we emigrated to Australia and the number one thing that was on the increase was certainly paedophilia. Oh, you don't hear church leaders talking like this. John, hey, there's much to cause our hearts to be concerned today. What's happening with our nation? Ah, but hang on a minute. Let's put it into perspective. You see, you don't need to be a giant in order to slay a giant. You just need a giant on your side. You, you just need to have a surety that Jesus Christ is with you and will never, ever forsake you. I don't know what your personal circumstances are this morning. So economically, internationally, nationally, or even personally, I don't, I, don't, I don't know anybody here. It was an absolute delight. And let me commend to you, your pastor and his wife, for the hospitality that they showed to me last night and uh, the, the way that they're leading this church. Get behind them, pray for them every single day. But I don't, I don't really know. I mean, he says that he came and saw me 20 years ago. His memory's better than mine. I, I can't remember what happened last week. 
I, I do know this, that it was a delight to sit and we had an Indian curry last night. My favourite. And heard something of Jane's story, and Peter's story. We've all got stories. And as our faces differ here, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your journey has taken you on. I don't know what some of you are facing today. Perhaps the threat of redundancy. Perhaps wondering how you're going to get through this next year. I don't, I don't know. But I do know this, that you don't need to be a giant in order to slay a giant. Wisdom tells me that you just need a giant on your side. Hmm. Now, it's with this whole thought of giants that I want to share something with you. But just before I do, I thought I'd do something that no other preacher in this church has ever, ever done. Is that okay? He's starting to get worried now, like he was when he saw the snow last night. You didn't look like an 80-year-old man. You look more like a hundred year old man. I mean, it was pathetic. Jane and I were skipping. <laughs> Bring the car here, Jane. <laughs> now, the thing is this, Peter, that I want to do something that no other preacher has ever done. Is that okay? Do you trust me? See, he's getting nervous now. How many of you would like me to do something that no other preacher has ever done? You don't want to go to church and always have the same thing every week, do you? Yeah, boring that. Well, now this is not a hint, please. This is, go beyond me hinting here because this is not a hint. But usually, usually when you itinerate and you you move around preaching at different churches, this is the kind of thing that happens. You go, you perhaps will have a meal or something like that, and uh, then you preach. And when you're saying bye-bye... Usually, and this is not a hint, but what happens is the church will give you the money for your, your petrol and then a gift, a ministry gift to, to bless you and help you on your, your journey, you see. But I thought, wouldn't it be nice if for a change the preacher came and gave some money away to somebody? I thought that would be different. How many of you think that's good? Oh, yeah, oh. Earlier on, it was, who is this fellow? I'm not going to laugh at his jokes. I'm, <laughs> now, oh, me, me, yeah. Took a bit to get you there, but you're with me now, aren't you? So, that's what I've decided to do. And I've, I've decided to give two people a gift. Is that okay? A monetary gift. Now... One of the people, they don't, they don't, I don't know them, I don't even know their name, but I'm going to give you a gift, so come on out. You're a very nice young lady. What's your name? Joanne. Joanne. That's Odoo there. I must admit, I like Odoo's name better than yours, because it's a bit... And then I thought I'd give your pastor a monetary gift. Is that all right? Oh, yeah, you can walk now, can't you, to the front? What was your name here? Joe. Joanna. Sounds like a piano. <laughs> Joanna. Okay, here you go. I want you to receive it in the way that I'm giving it to you. Oh, can I find it? What did I do with the jolly thing? I thought I'd put it in the inside pocket. I have got it, honestly. Trust me. Trust me, what on earth did I do with it? No 
Oh, yeah, I found it, I found it, I found it. Okay? Close your eyes. Hold your hand out. Close your eyes. You can open your eyes now. Two pounds. Go and sit down. Now, hang on, hang on. I know what you lot are thinking. Miserable skin friend. He was going to... If we are going to cover his petrol, make sure we don't give much to him. I know what you're thinking. Uh, but you see, I don't even want you to spend it. That's made it worse. What I want you to do, I want you to put it in your study or I want you to put it somewhere in your home or whatever and I want you to keep it. Because around the outside of every two pound coin are these words standing on the shoulders of giants. Get wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. Actually, there are some two-pound coins that have got something else written around them, which is to do with, is to do with the rugby team. But, but most two-pound coins have got around the outside, standing on the shoulders of giants. Actually, it is written in English, but it comes from the Latin, nanus gigantum humeris incidentis. Standing on the shoulders of giants. It was first attributed to a man called Didicus Stella, And it means this, that a dwarf who stands on the shoulders of a giant can then see further than the giant himself. A little person sees bigger and more than a big person if they stand on their shoulders. Hmm. In a letter that Sir Isaac Newton, was he from round here? Was he from Cambridge? Was he, was he from round here? Yeah. In a, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, he actually um, wrote a letter to a fellow called Robert Hooke. Robert Hooke was a close friend of his, and then they, they had a fallout, and I don't think they ever made it up. But in one of the letters that Sir Isaac Newton wrote to Robert Hooke, he, he said that his philosophy and the inventions that he was involved in was actually a development of those that had gone before him. And so he wrote this little phrase in one of his letters, I have been standing on the shoulders of giants. It's interesting, actually, that in 2009, a speech given by the 44th president of the United States of America, Barack Obama, he used this little phrase when he described his journey to the White House. And he literally said that now I have arrived at the White House, I am standing on the shoulders of giants. He perhaps thought of Abraham Lincoln, perhaps J.F. Kennedy. But what he was saying is that anything that I can now see, anything that I am now going to build, is to be built upon those that have gone before Hmm, get wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. And suddenly, 
The great news today is that there is someone that turns up. Abraham! I'm so glad you could be with us this morning. Let us stand upon your shoulders, if we may, for a few moments. And as we stand upon the shoulders of Abraham, suddenly we see something. We're able to see what Abraham saw, that his God is a God who always keeps his word. When you stand on the shoulders of Father Abraham, the father of our faith, you begin to see a God who always fulfills his promises. Stand there for a moment. You you see, Abraham had an encounter with God, and God said to him, hey, listen, you might not have any children at the moment, but did you know your seed and your generations are going to be so numerous there will be more than the stars of the sky, or the dust of the air, or the sand upon the seashore? What a thing to say. Because he was older than my dad was when he had me. He went and he told his wife. And she laughed. Because that cannot be. We're old age now and God's telling you that. (laughs) But when you stand on the shoulders of Father Abraham. You begin to realize that his word is always true. His promises are always kept. (laughs) When you stand on the shoulders of Father Abraham, you see a God who performs the miraculous. One of the things, one of the stories, one of the testimonies, one of the things we chatted about last night was the number of the miracles that you've seen at the church here. Always push into the miraculous. Don't let that go. Let that become... Some people are known for various things. Let that become a distinctive of your life and your ministry that you will pray for the sick and believe for signs and wonders to follow. Let there be that sense of the miraculous. And if at times... You get a word of discouragement. If at times you would begin to question, if at times it doesn't seem like it's all working out, then stand on the shoulders of Father Abraham. Because then you begin to see a God who keeps his word, fulfills his promise, performs the miraculous. And you also see a God that always provides He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. Come with me. As Abraham says to his son, son, we're going to leave the servants here. And we're going to go up this mountain and we're going to offer a sacrifice to God. The boy says, but listen, we've got the wood and the rope. But where is the sacrifice? Ah, Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh. He didn't use that phrase, but he did say, the Lord himself is going to provide us a sacrifice. But he didn't. I mean, you think he did. But he didn't. Because now, see, his son is stretched out on the altar. The wood is all around and the knife is raised. No provision. He's going to kill his only son and sacrifice him to God. 
And then we read this little phrase, and it's the third time we read it. Abraham lifted up his head, and he looked and he saw. Hmm. The first time that it's recorded, it says that Abraham lifted up his head, he looked and he saw a land. God has always got a land for us. He's always got something that he wants us to enter into. The second time we read it, it says that he lifted up his head, he looked and he saw the Lord. God always wants to give us a revelation of himself. A little bit like Isaiah chapter 6. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Sometimes things have to die in order that we get a revelation of who God is. He lifted up his head and he saw the Lord. Now, he's about to kill his son. He's already confessed that God is a Jehovah Jireh, but it hasn't happened. Then he lifts up his head, he looks, and he saw a lamb. Or a ram caught in a thicket bush. He takes the lamb, the ram, and kills that instead. And Jehovah Jireh, in the last moment, provided what was required. When you stand on the shoulders of Father Abraham, you see a God that keeps his word, fulfills his promise, performs the miraculous... And always provides. Even if it's in the last second. Even if it's when you think that he's not going to. He always comes through. And when you stand on the shoulders of the giant father Abraham. You see those truths. But look who's come. I'm so glad you could make it today. Here at Cambridge we are introduced to Daniel. Who bids us to stand on his shoulders. And when you stand on the shoulders of Daniel. Then you begin to see something. You begin to see that here is a person of conviction. He he wouldn't bow his knee like the other people did. To the foreign God. He knows what he believes. These days I believe we need to stand on the shoulders of men like Daniel. And become men and women of conviction. The world's philosophy says that anything goes, but it doesn't. The world's philosophy is that actually, providing it doesn't affect somebody else, I can live my life as I choose, but you can't. Uh, The philosophy of the day is that there are no absolutes, but there are. And when you stand on the shoulders of Daniel... Suddenly you see that, hey, what's needed today in Cambridge and in this country and throughout the countries of the world are men and women with conviction that know their God and know what they believe. That are prepared to be people, not of the world, but of the word. And there's an hell of a difference between the two. Think about it. The word or the world. You stand on the shoulders of Daniel, you find that here was a man of conviction, a man of character, a man of integrity. (laughs) Aren't weddings funny things? I don't know what she says. I mean, I don't know what yours was like, but I, I think weddings are very, very funny. 
I mean, what happens is you get the, the vicar. Or the, do you take this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Kiss the bride. Then all the people want to do is get to the reception to have the fish and chips. But no. Photograph time, and don't the photographs go on and on and on? How long is it going to be before we can get into those fish and chips? And then you go in and what happens is, in a lot of the winds I've been to, the bride and groom, I don't know whether you did this, they're there and as they're going into the reception, you shake hands with everybody that's there and you kiss everybody. And so there's a big queue and all, all you want to do, I mean it gets mixed up sometimes and they kiss the bloke and shake hands, but it's all, you, you just want to get in there. And then when you're in the reception room, waiting for your fish and chips or sandwiches or whatever it is, You've got to wait for everybody else. And then the master of ceremonies or the best man does his bit. This is it. This is it. Come on. This is it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, will you please be upstanding for the bride and groom? Upstanding? What's that all about? Why can't they say, will you stand up? But they say, be up, standing. Stand on the shoulders of Daniel. And you're standing on the shoulders of somebody that was upstanding. You see, it simply means standing upright. Circumspect. And what we need to do is to recognize that when we stand on Abraham's shoulders, we learn certain things. When we stand on Daniel's shoulders, that giant of a man, then we learn about character and conviction and integrity. And we also understand something of the importance of friendship. Because Daniel had a number of friends. Three of them were my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who actually carried the same convictions and characteristics as their mate, Daniel. We become like the people we spend our time with. So that's why we need to choose our friends carefully. And actually, we do need to choose friends because we can't do it alone. When you stand on the shoulders of Daniel... He didn't try and do it on his own. I mean, there are certain things he had to go through on his own. But he had three mates. And being a Christian is not something that we do on our own. We need to belong. No, no room for lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Let's, let's be honest, at any rate, even the lone ranger had a mate, Tonto. <laughs> it's good to belong. Thank you, Daniel. But there's just, just time. Our time has almost gone, but Paul, from the New Testament. I'm glad you could make it here to Cambridge today. We stand upon your shoulders. And when we do so, oh boy. Suddenly we are introduced to a whole new perspective on grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
not of yourself, lest any man should boast. (laughs) Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That would save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I read an article sometime last year by a man called Colin Dye who is the pastor of a large church in London, he said this, the Holy Spirit is bringing a new revelation of grace to us in these days. All over the world, there are signs of a fresh grace message being preached. God is giving us new light on this much neglected topic. What was once a teaching received by the intellect alone is fast becoming a new revelation impacting our hearts. We need a new understanding and a fresh experience of God's grace now more than ever. He was saying that it's not something we've just got to sing about and intellectually understand it. We've got to enter into it. Have you entered into the grace of God? When you've tasted of the grace of God, you don't judge others. You don't point the finger. You realize that we're all in the same boat for all have sinned and come short of God's standards. But amazing grace. Grace that we should be in this country. Grace that we should have the privilege of being born again. Amazing grace. I I like what uh, Philip Yancey in his book called What's So Amazing About Grace... He says this, during the Brezhnev era in the height of the Cold War, Billy Graham visited Russia and he met with government and church leaders and conservatives back at home reproached him for treating the Russians with such courtesy and respect. He should have taken a more prophetic role, they said, by condemning the abuses of human rights and religious liberty. And one of his critics accused him of setting the church back 50 years. Billy Graham listened, he lowered his head and replied, I am deeply ashamed. I've been trying very hard to set the church back 2,000 years. Hmm. Amazing grace. When you stand on the shoulders of the Apostle Paul, you see a person who understood grace, but you also understood A man who understood faith, for by grace have you been saved through faith. Uh, Faith is something that we all have, but it has to develop. We've got to be more grounded in faith today than we were a year ago. The Bible talks about degrees of faith, little faith, much faith, much more faith, perfect faith. Mm. So much we could teach or say on the subject. But stand on the shoulders of Paul, read his work and his words and saying that you begin to understand that it's not just about grace and faith but it is about works as well because the Bible makes it very clear that without works it all counts for nothing Jesus was a man that went about doing good and our faith And our grace is expressed through our works. How we live. (laughs) Oh yes. And so 
we begin to close. I apologize. Peter, Jane, the congregation here at Cambridge, I apologize to you from the very bottom of my heart. How can I close? For there is a greater than Abraham or Daniel or Paul that is here now. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the middle. See, Jesus is here this morning. He says, don't come into my arms. But stand upon my shoulders. The works that I do, you shall do. And greater works than these shall you do. We stand on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and suddenly we see. We see a man who understood prayer. How can we go through this year, this day without prayer? When we stand on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ we see a man who understood power for The things that he went about doing good were very often accompanied by the deliverance of demons and the raising of the dead and the healing of the sick. Hmm. Stand on his shoulders and you will do the same. Because you will see further than even he would see. You stand on the shoulders of Jesus. You see a man that knew what his purpose was in life. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And this morning, let me tell you, it's vitally important that every one of us here knows the purpose for which we were born. I found it very, very strange earlier this year. When we came back from Australia, we didn't think we were going to be coming back. We thought we were there for life. That all went in a different way. I came back not knowing what I was going to do. I had no idea. I certainly didn't think I'd be doing this role. And it's taken six or seven months for me to even begin to comprehend that actually this is what I was born for. This is a part of the purposes of God for me at this time in my life. You've got to know your purpose. Rick Warren talks a lot about that, the purpose-driven life. And when you stand on the shoulders of Jesus, you begin to realize he was a man that knew all about prayer and power and purpose. And so ought we. And so we really do draw it to a close as I ask you, whose shoulders are you standing upon? Sometimes I stand on the shoulders of my old mum. With all those ridiculous words of wisdom. But some of them were pretty good.
Sometimes we can stand on the shoulders of a Sunday school teacher. Or a teacher from school. Or a college lecturer. Or a best friend. Or a mum or a dad. Or, or a pastor. We might stand on the shoulders of an author. Sometimes we can stand on the shoulders of the men and women in the Bible. Men like Abraham and Daniel and the Apostle Paul. But there really is no one greater to stand upon than the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with this. I really do close now. One day, the baby camel was speaking to mummy camel. He said, mummy, why have we got big eyelashes? She said, oh son, don't you realize that when the sand blows, we've got these lashes to come over our eyes so that we are not blinded? He says, mummy, mummy, why have we got these humps on our back? She says, oh son, don't you realize that that stores up the food so that we can go on long journeys? Mummy, mummy, why have we got these big feet? She said, son, we're known as the ships of the desert. Don't you realize that these feet are able to cause us to walk for hundreds of miles across the deserts? He says, mummy, I've got one last question. Mummy, mummy, why are we in the zoo? Because camels weren't created to be behind the bars of a zoo cage. And you weren't created to live an ordinary life. To be restricted and limited to what people might say or perhaps what your past has shown you. It's a new day. A day when you get wisdom. And you stand on the shoulders of giants so that you can see further and accomplish more than you ever have done before. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. As I draw it to a close, I pray. I make a twofold appeal. The first is this. Do you know Jesus as your saviour? Have you tasted of that amazing grace? I'm not asking whether you've been to the church before. I'm not asking whether you read or pray. I'm saying, if you was to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? If you can't be absolutely certain of that, then right now you need to say, John, pray for me, please. I want to give my life to Christ. And I want to get wisdom by inviting him into my circumstance. Who this morning will say, John, will you pray for me, please? I want Christ in my circumstance. Thank you. Is there a second person? Thank you. Is there a third? Is there a fourth? Is there a fifth? Fifth person? Thank you. Is there a sixth person? Is there a seventh person? Is there an eighth person? Don't forget, this is you saying, I want Christ into my life so I know that I'm a Christian. seven people that have raised their hands put your hands down now you might have made responses before I don't know because that seems a 
But what about you? Last time of asking, anyone else who says, John, I really want to be sure I'm going to heaven. I want to thank you, my love. God bless you. There's another one. There's another one. Keep your heads bowed. Apart from you, let me tell you, this is a real day for you. God's got his hand on you. He's brought you here for this time so you right know that God loves you with his love. This is a special day for you. I sense it in my heart. I sense it right at the start. And I'm so delighted that you raised your hand. God bless you. Father, I pray for those that have lifted their hands, eight, nine, ten people, that are just making absolutely sure about experiencing your grace and getting the wisdom to say, Pastor John, pray for me. For the rest of this great congregation, I ask Lord Jesus that you will lead them, you will grant wisdom to the leadership, you will grant commitment to every member, and that like never ever before this year, you will help us as we determine we are going to stand on the shoulders of giants and see further than we've ever seen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been an absolute delight.